Tale of the Manticore. Bonus material, number three. A chat with Abel Enzo of the Iron Realm. What follows over the next few minutes is not an episode of Tale of the Manticore, and it will not take the place of a real episode. It's just bonus content. Recently, a listener, Reddit user Uncle Kruppa, suggested that I put out a short behind-the-scenes episode to talk about my creative process. I loved the idea and thought it would be all the better if I turned it into a chat with another podcaster. So I reached out to the guy whose show inspired my own, Abel Enzo of the Iron Realm Podcast. I was thrilled when he agreed to chat with me for an hour. I took that hour-long talk and cut it down to the best 20-odd minutes. And here it is. All right, all right. So let's 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 get into it. And uh, just I think I think most listeners are going to know what you do, but just for the few that don't, uh, what's what's your elevator pitch or your twenty-five words uh, or less version of the Iron Realm? So right, uh, I'm a Blenzo. I do the Iron Realm podcast. It's the world's first uh, solo RPG play by podcast uh, RPG campaign. Uh, it takes place in a mega dungeon. And uh, listeners are able to play along or enjoy the dramatic audio instead and uh, enjoy the story in its own right. And I have been a fan since the very first day I discovered it. Okay, let's, let's get right into, the, uh, into these questions. So um, I guess we'll, we'll talk about process first. Um, how, how, does, how does it work? Do you play the game and then record it and then kind of recreate it after the fact? Or is it a simultaneous thing for you, Abel? Ah, so that's interesting. So I uh, I sit down, I play the game, I record it in real time, and that includes things like the exploration of the maze, generating random monsters, and uh, creating outcomes. I roll the dice through this, and any sort of narrative that happens uh, during those Tribal Matters segments, uh, that's all ad-lib, that's on the fly. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just record the play session, which usually it cooks down about 20 minutes on the podcast or so, but it can be maybe two hours, <laughs> two hours or so to record. And that's just because of the time it takes to reference notes. And uh, sometimes even I'll sit and think of the best way to say something. So all of that is completely live. Then I'll go back and I'll pull together a role play story. Mm-hmm. So writing fiction, is uh, definitely one of the hobbies I enjoy. I love being able to go back through the session that I just recorded and uh, say, oh, okay, well, this monster showed up. What's the deeper meaning? What's the full picture? How is this affecting the characters? What does that mean for their relationships? Uh, What does that mean for their story arc? And I'll try to work that into the fiction that I write and go from there. So the game comes first, uh, the the dice and the mapping and so forth. And then second, I actually go back and write the role play after the fact before I glue it all together into an episode. So, so have you ever found yourself like having to go back and like just scrap a whole bunch of role play because you've written something in a kind of a lore segment that takes the story in a different direction? Did you ever have a conflict? I absolutely know what you mean. I'll, I'll say that that sort of scrapping is usually rare, but I have fallen into it in situations where I've been inspired to write the role play several chapters ahead. Right, right. You've written something and you're like, oh, this is way too cool to not use. 
That's right. So in such a case, what can you do? You put the fiction aside and maybe you change the names later and reuse it for something else. <laughs> but, uh, but overall, it's pretty rare because I tend to write my role play almost right after the gaming session. I get the idea that you play the game with dice and so forth and then actually write your roleplay narrative along with it while you're dicing. I'm not sure if that's right, but I sort of got that impression and I wonder how you run it on your side. Yeah, so, so if your process is like game a bit, write a bit, game a bit, write a bit, and encourage that um, the, the one informing the other and, and over and over until it, it builds up into these like multi-layer, that, that's what I get out of the, uh, the Iron Realm process. Mine really is like very different uh, because it's all happening at once, but none of it is ad-libbed at all. So I'm kind of at the keyboard and I start just writing uh, the beginning of a scene. Maybe it connects to what happened before uh, or or maybe it's just something new that I've daydreamed about and and then as soon as any kind of game element happens I just pull out dice roll them right there and then type in the result so it's it's like a solo game but it just happens at about one tenth the speed I guess of in a group of people this would never work it's much too slow but alone it works really well because I have time to like think through ideas and abandon bad ones and maybe identify conflicts and continuity problems uh, at least most of the time kind of before they happen because it's so slow and so even like a, a dummy like me can kind of come up with a good idea now and then that's really fantastic I appreciate the way you do it and I think that your game, more than mine, also has a lot more uh, wilderness elements, I would say. And uh, that can be a little bit different style of play than, let's say, a maze where you've got walls and there are, uh, what should I say, there's definite limits to where you can go and what you can do. Whereas when you have a wilderness adventure, it, it can be uh, controlled, determined, much more by the story element, which is important. It's your reason for adventuring in the first place. Uh, you need a story reason. Yeah, yeah, I think you nailed it. There has to be a reason for them to be doing what they're doing. And so ideally, I have them kind of moving towards a goal, but not just that. Hopefully they're also maybe uh, moving away from something or something's chasing them. And then maybe even there's an intrinsic reason like hunger or something that they just have to keep going. And so the more of these motivating elements I can make present, I feel that that keeps the, like there has to be tension and, and it almost never lets up because the, at the moment it lets up, that's where everybody says, well, uh, great, great hanging out with you guys. I'm gonna go back to my town now and, and work on the farm. The brilliance of the Iron Realm is that the characters have no choice. They, they could never be safe. And so once you sort of accept the premise of this uh, mega dungeon, the, the sort of the tension is, is baked in, right? It's inexorable from your story. There will never be a moment's rest. That's absolutely right. For the Iron Realm, that sort of ever-present danger is in a lot of ways baked into the setting. So that's absolutely true. But I've also found it, uh, much like uh, with Manticore, that it does help to have some motivations, some story hooks, and uh, so forth built in as well, which I've introduced over time. This is what stops the characters from, say, finding a massive chamber, spiking themselves in, making a run for water now and then, and otherwise never coming out. <laughs> <laughs> 
a lot of times whatever encounters come up can motivate that. You've seen that with the Goblin King. The characters are being hunted. So that's one thing yeah. that prevents yeah. them from staying in one place. Just some different things that will allow the characters to continue to explore, give a motivation for filling out that maze so that they really can't stay in one place, which they might otherwise be uh, tempted to do even in a completely dangerous underground. You're now at what, uh, episode 90s. By the, by the time I, I put this out, and actually I'm, I'm going to try and put it out this month, I think, you're in your 90s, 92 or something like that now. And so you've got a lot of a lot of lore, and you've got different segments devoted to different kinds of lore. You've got sort of weapons lore, and you've got creature lore, and you've got the kind of the world, and you've got the characters. And so I was wondering, how do you keep track of 90 episodes worth of information? I'm at 27 at the time of this recording, and it's it's already a mountain of stuff. And, and I do sort of live in a kind of uh, constant fear of of getting my own thing wrong. It's, it's a massive backstory. And I think for the Iron Realm, I'm actually coming up on uh, some five years of material at this point. Oh my God. Now, fortunately for me, one of the things I really enjoy about the RPG hobby in general uh-huh. is the archiving and the documenting of literally everything. And so you know that I'm not exaggerating when I say I've written books, books upon books on the topic. And uh, of course, I put those out on Drive-Thru RPG. There are a number of Iron Realm books out there. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, Part of the reason for writing those books is to keep my own story straight Uh because there's a campaign guide that describes the characters, it describes the creatures, it describes the world, it describes the maze, it's all in there. And then in addition to that, the game that I run, it's not really any of the games that you've seen before. It draws from so many sources, it has so many house rules, and so I've written all of that down too. When I'm playing a game of The Iron Realm for the podcast, I literally have all my own books there so I can flip through and keep track of rules, uh, keep track of processes and procedures, Mm -hmm. unique creatures that I've created. And a lot of times these creatures will be recurring. The villains will be recurring. Mm -hmm. And and then, of course, as for the storyline, yeah, absolutely. I've just got mountains and mountains of notes and, uh, and I love it. I think uh, some some of our listeners might kind of have this idea, as I did listening to yours, that they would want to take a stab at making their own different version of, of the kind of things that uh, you and I do. For those people, I wonder if you can share some wisdom. You've been doing this for five years? Oh, gosh. So it's really hard to believe, but uh, I do believe it is actually coming up on five years. Uh, or no, no, I've actually surpassed it. I think... My first podcast was sometime late in 2014. So gosh, let me wow. think. Yeah, wow. So definitely surpassed five years at this point. Been doing it for a long time. So so I'll tell you what I think anybody would want who would want to do their own uh, solo RPG podcast. Um, number one, the system's got to be something that you love. Uh-huh. You got to love it because as you and I both know, John, Uh, It's a real labor of love, and it's a lot of work. Even for something that's uh, very effect-slight, there's a lot of editing that goes into it. Even if all you do is record it and edit it, uh, then you've doubled your time right there. Let's give our listeners a a time frame. How how long does it take to make an episode of Iron Realm, front to back? 
what I tell people is uh, 15 hours. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'd like to think I've gotten a little faster over time. I'll do um, an exploration segment and that'll take two hours. And then I've got to listen to that and edit it. And that cooks down to maybe 20 minutes, but it takes me at least two more hours just to do the initial editing. So that's four right there. Right. And then there's some time to write some of the RPG narratives and then read those. So that might be another couple of hours for sure. Mm -hmm. And this is before I've added any of the music or uh, any of the sound effects. But the other thing that I'd recommend for the beginner is um, I actually created 10 full episodes before I ever released even one. And I feel like that's pretty important too, because uh, your listener has to have some confidence that you're going to be there. And uh, I guess the bottom line is if you love it and you want to do it, I say go for it. Well, after this, Abel and I chatted about all kinds of things, but a lot of them were a little off topic. So instead of putting it all out, here is the highlight reel. On getting started and getting the audio right. Initially, I wasn't going to make anything. I just wanted to find more stuff like yours. And then because I couldn't, I, I decided to make one. I, I kind of resisted at first. Um, but one of the reasons I decided to go for it was because I come from a like an audio engineering background. I have a little studio at home and I have some nice microphones and I have some nice headphones and uh, I've been doing audio engineering kind of amateur for a long time. Gear-wise, I'm using uh, a very nice microphone now. But when I started, I was using a microphone that I had actually soldered together. And I was so proud that I had brought this microphone back from the dead that I decided I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that. But it was a mistake because it came out all bassy and fuzzy and sounded good in my headphones, but it, it sounded bad overall. Anyway, big mistake. Uh, I, would, I would say that if, you, if you're just sort of like trying to put something together and if you don't have a studio I would say one of those like um, uh, blue yetis are probably a good way to go a USB mic is probably gonna save you a lot of headaches uh, especially if you don't need to record things other than your voice probably just a good USB mic with either Shure or blue or um, Rode any any of those I, I would avoid the super cheap stuff because I think that you probably get what you pay for up to about $100, $150 for a microphone, and then after that, diminishing returns, but probably less than 50 bucks, and you're probably risking having bad audio. And believe me, you, that's, not, that's not a regret you wanna have. Like almost every podcaster I know looks back on their early episodes and cringes at the audio, and I'm the same, and that's, that's okay. That's, that's part of, like there is a lot, there's a learning curve to what we're doing here. So your early stuff isn't gonna be as good. Anyway, so um, microphone wise right now, I'm using uh, a Shure SM7B, which is like, it's the one that Michael Jackson used to record Thriller. Uh, it's a really great mic, um, but it took me a long time before I had one of these. I think I'd had a studio for 10 years before I, I finally, you know, broke the bank and got one of these things. You don't need something like this. Incidentally, since we are talking behind the scenes stuff, I have to record in the morning, like early morning, if I want to have a consistent 
voice quality because by the time noon rolls around, I sound like a different guy, like all the gravel and bass is gone from my voice. All my narrative has to be done in the morning. On the extent to which you allow pure chance to steer the story. Without making you do any spoilers, so this is going to be purely in the what-if hypothetical sphere. Right now in your story, and again, we're if you're listening to this uh, recording at a later date, this might not make as much sense, but uh, at the time of this recording, when I'm listening to The Iron Realm, we've got uh, Solus. He's looking for Celeste, and um, there's some evidence that she's been around, but will she come back? Am I, am I about right with that? Absolutely right. That's about where we are in the story right now. Okay. So as a DM, and again, hypothetical here, I don't want you to spoil anything or give it away. Um, how do you know as a DM if she's coming back or, or will you decide uh, randomly whether she's coming back or how, how does that work? I, I'm kind of looking for what is the, what's, what's your level of um, like God status in, in, in your, in your gaming? So I can talk about that a bit. And uh, so there's a hint to that already in the current narrative. Uh, you will remember that when uh, Celeste went into the Grumark's domain, it was, uh, it was in part because she failed uh, a number of checks that she had to make when the Grumark was attempting to dominate her. And uh, so that's the reason we lost Celeste. Uh, is that she was called upon to make a number of checks. If if you like, you can think of it sort of like, uh, like what, like a charm spell. She had five rolls to make and ultimately failed. So that sort of uh, told me exactly what had to happen next. She was gone. She was taken. That was the end of her. Uh, then, of course, understanding that her counterparts weren't going to stand for that, I had to give them an opportunity to save her. And so that's when we sent Solus in after her, Ultimately, Solus is going to have such a similar check to make if he's going to get her out. That's, of course, assuming that he finds her, because uh, as we move through our hex crawl, right, there's an opportunity to discover her location determined by dice uh, with every hex that's explored. And so first she has to be found, if that's possible to do. And then after that, Solus is going to be faced with... Uh, his own set of behind-the-scenes roles to determine whether he's successfully able to get her out, reverse the situation, and so forth. So, uh, without spoiling the end, uh, in the next few episodes, I believe it will be revealed uh, what the fate of Celeste is, uh, and Solus as well, in the uh, Grumark's domain. Cool. And speaking of the end, do you see an arc, or does this just spin out forever? If, if you have a TPK, do you just make new characters and start again from level one? Uh, have, you must have thought about this because there's every time the dice are in your hands, there's that potential for disaster. I know I feel it all the time. It stresses me out every time there's a combat scene. Absolutely right. And I would suppose that my intention is if the characters all get killed off, that probably is the end of the game. on the OSR mentality. I've always kind of equated it to this, right? Is um, back in the day, you were used to going into, say, a video game arcade, and uh, you get three lives, and you're gonna die. You'll be dead in three minutes, you'll be dead in four minutes, and the game's gonna be over. 
For sure, yeah. If your character dies in a cool way, that's that's as good for the story, maybe better for the story's sake, than surviving, surviving, and always winning. Always winning is maybe boring for the story's sake, but uh, a cool death, that's that's more memorable, more impactful, I guess. Final thoughts. At the end of the day, you you kind of have to design the podcast that you love, and then the people that are meant to hear it are going to be drawn to it. And the audience that you can't reach, you know, it's okay. You're not going to reach everybody, but your podcast is going to be there for the folks that resonate with it. And they're going to be your fans. They're going to be the ones that really get what you're doing, enjoy your stuff, and they're going to be able to love it with you as much as you do. Well, that's it, folks. Wisdom from the Maze Master himself. Abel's show continues to be a huge inspiration to me, and selfishly, I hope it just keeps going and going. Thanks so much for joining me today, Abel. Where can listeners go to get in touch with you and to find your show? For anybody who wants to find me, uh, you can find me at uh, theironrealm.blogspot.com or find me on Apple Podcasts by searching on The Iron Realm. Excellent. Thank you once again, Abel. And thanks also to you, the listeners. For anyone interested to know about the music used in this bonus episode, please go to taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com for show notes. I truly hope that you've enjoyed this bonus cast, and it is a bonus cast and will not replace a regular episode. The next installment of Tale of the Manticore is just around the corner. <laughs>